Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Deep Astronomy Show. I'm Tony Darnell from deepastronomy.space, and it is time for another podcast. And today, well, I thought I'd take some time out to, to, to talk about the asteroid Apophis. Now, many people have heard of this asteroid and are a little bit worried. NASA classifies it as a PHA, or a potentially hazardous asteroid. And when it was discovered in 2004, it was initially thought that it had a really good chance of hitting the Earth. Uh, and it is going to fly by extremely close to Earth in 2029. So it's about a little less than 10 years from now. So we have some time to get ready. But there has been a lot of talk about it recently on the news feeds of various astronomy uh, groups that I that I pay attention to. And I thought I would devote a podcast to this asteroid. So we're going to talk about Apophis today and find out if it's if it's worth worrying about or will it hit the Earth or not. Um, now I'm going to take a brief break. I, because I put this podcast together on anchor.fm, one of the things that allows me to do is monetize this podcast. And if there is a sponsor willing to be sponsored on this podcast, then the, an ad is inserted in this audio file. And what you may hear is an ad coming up, but it'll be back in just a few seconds. And then I will get started with the podcast. If you don't hear an ad, then that's fine. We'll just get started with the podcast. So I'll be right back. Okay, we're back. All right, so Apophis the asteroid. What is it and should we be worried about it? Well, I've, I have been aware of Apophis since not too long after it was discovered in 2004. It was first observed uh, way back way back then. And since then, we've gotten a lot better observations of it. But the Asteroid is about 350 meters, so it's a pretty good size, okay? This is a pretty good size asteroid, but the thing about it is, is it's going to get very, very close to the Earth, around 5.8 Earth radii away. That's the radius of the Earth, which means that it, which means that it's coming so close to us that when it does fly by on April 13th, 2029, it will be going underneath the geosynchronous satellites that are in orbit above the Earth. Now, that's pretty darn close. And if you don't know what that is, when we put satellites in orbit, there's all kinds of different heights and, and altitudes that we can launch these things at. But in order for a satellite to be launched above the Earth and then follow along on the as the Earth rotates uh, on its daily motion, then what that means is that it needs to be at a certain height above the Earth to match that rotation rate. So, for example, the just one that's coming off the top of my head, the direct TV satellites that they, they use to broadcast their TV signal down to the United States, that is a geosynchronous satellite. They're always above the Earth, or they're always above the United States at the same spot in the sky. So they don't move around, and that helps us always have coverage uh, for that direct TV signal. That's just one example, but there's, there's a lot of them. So it's a very important orbit. A lot of very important satellites are there. Weather satellites are there. Earth-facing satellites are there. Uh, lots, of, lots of interesting and very valuable and very important satellites are there. And Apophis, when it comes by, again, this is in April 13th, which happens to be a Friday, <laughs> uh, in, in 2029, it's going to get between us and that geosynchronous orbit. And just for those of you who might be interested, the geosynchronous, geosynchronous orbit is about 22,000 miles up above the surface of the Earth, and or it's 35,000 kilometers if you use the metric system like every other per sane person on the planet. So anyway, this is an interesting situation, right? But it is not, according to the scientists, going to hit the Earth. 
which they're very careful to emphasize. They've, at first, when they discovered it in 2004, they weren't sure. They needed more observations. But because of the orbit of Apophis, where it was at the time it was discovered, it ended up going behind the sun, and we couldn't get decent orbit calculations for it. And so later, and I think it was 2011, no, no, 2013, they were able to get even better observations of the orbit and they were able to refine the trajectory and it is not going to hit the earth in 2029 so that's very good news uh, but I, I've been making videos on this since it was first found out about well not maybe exactly but uh, my first video on this I made on YouTube was in let's see when was it oh February of 2011 and then I made a this was when I said that Apophis needed more observations in order to know exactly how close it was going to get to Earth and would it hit us in 2029. Because what by then, people were pretty sure it wasn't going to hit the Earth in 2029. But depending on exactly where it passed by the Earth, what altitude it was exactly at, depending on that, it could swing around again when it when it was due to come by at another time in 2036, and that one could have hit us. And so people were very anxious to find out, you know, just get more data on this. Is this thing going to actually hit us or not? And now we've gotten observations where astronomers are very confident it's not going to hit us at any time, uh, whether in 2029 or in 2036. But um, so anyway, I made a couple videos on this. I made another one in 2013 where I did the follow-up and I said, no, it's probably it's not going to hit us. And, and so it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And but it's been in the news lately. You, I don't know if you follow much in the way of astronomy news feeds, but I started seeing a lot more stories about Apophis. And what happened was back in when was it? It was let me pull this up. Uh, so back in late April. Uh, NASA uh, and the International Academy of Astronautics had their biannual planetary defense conference. Yeah, that's an actual thing. And they did this on April 29th. And they had, uh, this is where they meet to discuss what are we going to do if there is a PHA, potentially hazardous asteroid, heading here for Earth? What are we going to do about it? What can we, what can, what are some of the defenses that we can employ, de deploy, and, and all that kind of stuff. It was a really interesting conference because, and the reason I know that is because they live streamed it and I was able to watch some of the sessions. Now they had a session devoted entirely to the planet Apophis, or to the asteroid Apophis. This was on Tuesday, April 30th in the afternoon, uh, right after the uh, morning break. And they had several discussions. Now I'm going to play some of the more interesting ones here. They're about 10 minutes in length, uh, but they're very interesting. And this is coming from the scientists themselves. It turns out that while nobody's worried in the scientific community about Apophis hitting us, this isn't going to be just a walk in the park. It's going to get very, very close. It has the potential, because it's going underneath the geosynchronous satellite orbit, to actually do some damage to satellites, or at least maybe fling them out of that of that altitude that they're in into another either a higher altitude or a lower altitude causing us to either lose the satellites by flinging them out of the earth's gravitational pull or by causing them to fall to the earth so this is going to be an interesting time and astronomers are using this as a 
opportunity to do some great science. So while we have about 10 years for this thing to happen, they're preparing now. And here are some of the things that they are saying about the uh, upcoming flyby. The first thing I'm going to... um, the first thing I'm going to play for you is the opening talk by Richard Benzel, or I'm sorry, by Richard Binzel, B-I-N-Z-E-L. Uh, he's from MIT. He's a professor of planetary science and a joint professor of, en- of aerospace engineering, MIT. And uh, here's what he has to say on the subject of Apophis. Good morning. Let Apophis begin. All right. So I want to begin by thanking the conference organizers uh, for this special session and particularly thank our co-chair Marina Brozovich, who was a real champion for the session and uh, helped organize uh, the details of what we're doing this morning. All right. Off we go. So uh, we have our 2019 PDC exercise, but now we're going to get real because Apophis is a real object and object and it's coming for real. What Apophis is, is is a 350 meter asteroid that's going to come within 5.8 Earth radii that's inside the geosynchronous distance. And um, the date is April 13th, 2029. And yes, that April 13th is a Friday. If you are watching over the web and this is the first time you have ever heard about the asteroid Apophis, coming toward Earth, I want to emphasize one thing, that Apophis will miss the Earth, Apophis will miss the Earth, and Apophis will miss the Earth. What we're going to have is a close shave of an object five times larger than Tunguska and 100 times more massive, but again, it's going to miss the Earth, but the excitement is that An object this large comes this close about once per thousand years. So it's all about what's the opportunity. All right, we can look at this historically in another way. This is known encounters inside half the lunar distance over the past century and the current century. There's a scale for the different sizes of the objects and you can see Apophis dominates uh, the current century and centuries in terms of the largest object coming closest to the Earth. All right, so the Apophis 2029 encounter is so close that it provides an amazing opportunity for study. And that is, is if the Earth's gravitational field tidally distorts or uh, jars or vibrates this body at all, we'll have the chance to measure the interior strength and structure of a potentially hazardous asteroid. Imagine that, to know how these things are put together. We can, uh, if we get any downslope movement or landslides caused by the tidal stresses, we'll understand the surface strength. If we see spin rate changes, that will tell us about the, the structural integrity of the object. And so we have, you know, you can think about what an amazing opportunity this, this is for planetary defense and learning how these objects are put together in case we ever had to move one out of the way. And there's science in this too, and you could argue, is it science or planetary defense? But there is no argument. It's all one and the same. And uh, I think the key here is that nature is performing this amazing experiment for us. 
All right, so this has been presented to the NASA Small Bodies Ass Assessment Group, or SBAG, and SBAG has concurred that this is an amazing opportunity in encouraging the community to, to evaluate this in terms of its science and planetary defense opportunities. And I would like to make sure that uh, we see the Apophis opportunity highlighted in the upcoming Planetary Decadal Survey. All right. We know a lot about Apophis, its basic physical properties, thanks to radar measurements. We know its basic size. We know its shape. We know it's in a processing state, probably because it's been torqued on by a previous Earth encounter and rotating rather slowly. And we also have a good idea of its composition because we've measured Apophis spectrally. Its spectral uh, characteristics match that of most of the PHA population. Uh, in terms of uh, things we can measure in the laboratory, it's most like ordinary chondrite meteorites. So we even have a really good idea of what Apophis is made of. So to me, the knowledge opportunity and the opportunity about that comes with us in Apophis is all about what happens during the encounter. And to emphasize that, uh, I think it's all about the encounter. So that's the opportunity, this once per thousand year opportunity that nature is providing to us. And it's up to us to figure out how to take advantage of it. And uh, the reason why I think it's so exciting for planetary defense is we operate in a sphere of situational awareness. And by making measurements here, we can turn that situational awareness into situational understanding. It's a great opportunity for planetary defense. And because Apophis is so normal in terms of the overall PHA population, what we learn about Apophis is going to be broadly applicable to the whole potentially hazardous asteroid population. So it's all about the encounter. We're going to hear lots of different talks, and there's many posters uh, within this session about what some of the early predictions are for the outcomes. So stay tuned to begin as we begin to evaluate uh, what may or may not be happening during the encounter. There's many different ideas for implementations. One of them is called MIT Project Apophis. And anyone who remembers MIT Project Icarus, it's similar. It's a student study of a complete mission implementation. You'll see that on a poster by Alyssa Earle. And, um, and I think the holy grail here is kind of like the InSight Mars mission, the opportunity for seismology at Mars and how excited we are about InSight Mars. Um, if seismic disturbances are uh, initiated in the asteroid, we can have insight apophis or insight PHA. And so I think therein that opportunity for internal, internal structure, internal integrity is, uh, is really incredible. All right, so with all that being said, I think that apophis is going to become the new poster child for planetary defense. I think we're gonna see a lot of focus on apophis over the upcoming uh, planetary defense conferences and more. And uh, even um, this conference, Apophis is the official bling of the 2019 PDC, thanks to the little models that uh, Gerbs Bauer has made available. So please pick one up, put it on your desk, look at it every day, and remember that an object 10,000 times bigger is actually going to be flying past the Earth in less than 10 years from today. All right, so when Apophis comes by, and this is a simulation of it streaking across the nighttime sky, 
it will be visible to the naked eye. And in fact, when it's visible to the naked eye, it will be visible to two billion people. Two billion people will see this asteroid streaking across the nighttime sky. So the world will be watching. It's up, up to us to get ready. So I'm gonna close and then take questions by showing a, an animation created by Marina Brozovich. Um, this is an animation of Apophis coming in through the geosynchronous ring. You'll see on the Earth's surface, the sub-Earth point of the asteroid uh, trajectory. And um, you'll see in the mid-Atlantic uh, where the closest encounter, uh, over the mid-Atlantic where the closest approach occurs. So with that, we'll hope the video works. And there it goes. Thank you. And if the lights can come down any more, that would be great. Okay, so that was a pretty interesting stuff, I thought. I mean, the big takeaway there for me is that this thing is going to be visible to the naked eye when it does fly by. So, as he said, two billion people are going to be able to see this from wherever they happen to stand. Now, you didn't see the animation, but you can check it out on, on uh, just do a, a quick search for Apophis Close Flyby Animation JPL, and you'll see the animation itself. But what it does is it gets very close to the Earth. It goes underneath these uh, geosynchronous satellites, and then it gets very close. The closest approach will actually be over the Atlantic Ocean, uh, when it, and then it'll fly directly uh, past the Earth. So uh, that was the, the big takeaway, but this is the largest object that we've ever seen get this close to the Earth. So that's going to be really, really cool. And as he pointed out, there's going to be a lot of focus on this in the coming, the coming uh, years, I should say, leading up to 2029. So there's a lot to look forward to here, a lot of great science that can come out of this. And what follows is the, I'm going to go ahead and play the Q&A session that happened right after his talk uh, because it was kind of interesting. So let me play that for you now. Uh, maybe Andy can call. Yeah, Andy, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's, let's go with Andy first. All right, Andy Rifkin, APL. Uh, thanks, Rick. I know you've been a, a tireless advocate for this for a little while, um, and I agree that there's a lot of potential um, uh, for for uh, both public interest and scientific interest. I think the the devil is going to be in the details, so to speak, and what specifically we are hoping to get out of this. Uh, there are geo there's geophysics that could be gotten out of it, but arguably it could be gotten out of other types of missions to other asteroids that are allow a controlled, more controlled experiment, um, rather than something that's uh, gonna pass close to the Earth and we don't wanna mess with. So we have to be pretty specific about what we are hoping to do at Apophis. I know this is an overview and so you probably didn't have time to get into that, but that's that's gonna be the trick, is, is um, understanding what science we get out of this and then it should naturally rise in the decadal survey to be something that everyone agrees we should do instead of going in the other direction. So thanks for the comment, and I, I completely agree. It's, and to me, it's all about what is the natural experiment? What do these objects naturally do? Uh, and can we capitalize on that and learn something uh, from energies that are probably beyond anything that we could ever impart or would impart to an object? Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, curious, wouldn't it be sensible to put a pinger on this thing since it's going to come back in a few hundred years? 
Well, well, and you would know absorbent better. So, uh, well, maybe we'll hear some mission concepts about having a transponder on the thing okay. and uh, tracking it further. Maybe there's one here. Okay, now I thought that question was pretty interesting because when he said it's going to come back in a couple hundred years, I thought, wait a minute, I thought it was coming back sooner. And there are. And I think what he means, the gentleman means in his question, is that it's going to come back this close in a couple of hundred years because there are going to be more flybys of Apophis. In fact, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and if you look at if you read the part about its orbit, there's going to be three approaches between now and 2068. There's the one in 2029, which is going to get, like I said, about 3,100 kilometers or 19,000 miles up. Uh, and then there's going to be another one in uh, 20 in March of 2016. 36, but it will be no closer than about it's 400, uh, no, 8,400,000 kilometers or 5,200,000 miles. So it's going to be much, much further out in 2036 than was originally thought. Uh, and then um, the one in the 2060s, in 2066, it's listed as coming by on April 12th, 20, I'm sorry, uh, let me see. In the 2060s, Apophis is expected to approach Earth in 2066. On the risk-listed date of April 12, 2068, Apophis could be more than 1.5 AU, which is 220 million kilometers from Earth, making the asteroid further away from us than the Sun is. And then on April 12, 2068, the odds of impact are 1 in 150,000, in large part because of the large variation line of variation that extends to over 840 million kilometers. So that is the Wikipedia listing of the flybys. And so what was initially thought was that the flyby in 2036 was going to be highly affected by the one in 2029 in such a way that it might bring it close to the Earth. But uh, the latest data put the 2036 flyby at much, much further away, 8 million kilometers, 5 million miles uh, in March of 2036. So what I think that questioner meant was that it's coming back this close in a couple of hundred years. So again, there's no danger, I think, in uh, Poffet. Well, there, according to these guys, there is no danger of it hitting us anytime soon. But I did like the idea of putting a, a pinger on it, a, a sort of a homing beacon so we could follow it more precisely. And that's what was cool about this conference is that there are mission plans to send something to this asteroid when it comes by and I'll play uh, at least one of those here in just a minute but let's let's finish up with the last of the questions on this uh, on this particular topic on this particular this particular speaker Hi Rick Carol Raymond JPL Since Apophis has been by the earth before and as you said maybe has been disrupted somewhat by that um, the question is do you expect then that what you're seeing in terms of the interior structure may not be as representative of a broader class, or how could you relate it to other PHAs and other asteroids versus it's its own thing? I, I, that's a great question, and we need the dynamicists to weigh in, but I imagine that objects that ultimately uh, find their, their selves impacting the Earth probably have made close encounters over the past, and so in that way, Apophis may be quite representative of the population. I, I don't, and as I said, I don't expect 2029 is the first rodeo for Apophis. I think it's been by before, and that may account for its current shape and its current spin state. Okay, so the next 
talk I want to play for you is one of those mission uh, concepts that they had. There, there's lots of talks, by the way, uh, that they have on this. And if you do a Google search on the IAA, Planetary Defense Conference, uh, you'll see the webpage come up. And if you click on the list of talks that's on the webpage for the uh, IAA website, then you can... Uh, Click on these and watch them on YouTube. I'm just taking these off of YouTube to play for you here. Although you don't, you do get some graphics and you get a lot of bullet points. They do, they do kind of talk to their bullet points, so you're not really missing a whole lot here. But this guy, these guys are from the Applied Physics Laboratory in Johns Hopkins, as well as from the University of Maryland, Arizona State University, and the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. And these guys have a plan for sending an asteroid probe to. It's called Apex to Apophis. So let's listen in on what that's going to be like. Okay, I wanted to talk about um, a complete mission concept. Uh, Fossil just talked about the trajectory. Uh, uh, Joe talked a little bit about some of the work we did with the, the deformation. You also heard from Dan Shears about the deformation. Um, this, this work came out of th essentially three different efforts. One was a, a small uh, mission planetary study, uh, a NIAC study, and some, some summer students that were around the lab. So the, the objectives to go to Apophos during the 2029 encounter are to understand the geology of the body, the rotational state, its interior structure, what happens in terms of tidal deformation, and more generally about the origin and evolution of small bodies, and to understand a potentially hazardous object and its, how it would uh, potentially threaten the Earth. So we looked at a, a bunch of different uh, mission concepts uh, for the studies. We identified a reference payload, um, designed a mission uh, spacecraft around it, and looked at the risks. And as I said, this work came out of uh, three different sponsors. Um, you've heard about, uh, Rick talked about Apothos a bit. It's, it's on the order of, uh, uh, you know, 400, 200, or three to 400 meters in diameter. Um, it, it has a spectrum that uh, is suggestive of, of a unweathered object. And the question, or what, question is what happens with uh, uh, space weathering. Um, the shape model that was used was um, Marina's uh, uh, radar model. So as I said, the, the specific objectives now were to determine the rotational state and bulk properties, the mass and interior structure and the geology and the tidal effects. So a lot of this was, was based on the idea that we would would carry a seismometer that we would deploy on the surface um, and understand what's going on in the interior, both during the encounter with the Earth and, and over a longer period of time. And then there were a number of, of secondary objectives that sort of fell out of the, the instruments that were required to do the level one objectives. So you can do a complete study of, of the object. Uh, Fossil just, just talked about this in a lot of detail, so we won't go over it. The key points are that um, there are a number of different ways to get there. Um, depending upon whether you're trying to do a small mass on an ESPA ring or whether you had a dedicated launch. Um, in this particular version for the ESPA ring, um, we can park um, at one of the Lagrange points and, and hang out until we're ready to go to Apophos so that we're insensitive to any, any slips in a launch date. Um, and then we go on from there. The idea was to arrive sufficiently early that we could map the entire body, deploy the seismometer before we got to the encounter, go through the encounter, and then essentially remap the body after the encounter so that we could detect any changes that may have occurred. So we want to understand something about the surface character and any modifications. It's been suggested that um, tidal encounters with uh, between small bodies and, and large planets uh, can generate surface movement, 
which would lead to some of the observations of, of relatively unweathered uh, surfaces on these bodies. If you've got a body just sitting there for four and a half billion years, it should be space weathered and you shouldn't really see any changes unless you had a small impact or something occurring on the body. But the, the tidal interaction may expose some fresh material, um, either downslope or because of seismic movement. And so we wanted to map the body to understand what happens there. Okay, the other part we wanted to understand was the seismology. This is some work that Nick Schmer from across the street did. Uh, and he's got a poster tonight. Uh, basically, we, we looked at the idea of, of what happens in terms of uh, sample, um, sampling frequency and uh, energy dispersion. Uh, he looked at a situation where there was a, uh, an energy input at one end of the body and watch how it propagates. Uh, the second uh, rendition down here shows what happens if you have an event, a seismic event, um, in the interior of the body. One of the key problems with, with this is the irregular shape of the body winds up scattering uh, energy all over the place and you get multiple reflections and, and diffractions and so you're going to get a very complex waveform out of the seismometer if you were to observe such an event. We assume that, that in terms of seismic activity, um, if in a sort of passive experiment, you would see micrometeorites. We're going to be there long enough that we would expect to see a, an impact or two uh, that were large enough to, to generate seismic energy. You would presumably see thermal cracking on the surface due to the thermal fatigue, just like we saw on the moon. Um, you might expect to see some kind of deformation uh, during the, the tidal encounter. And again, it depends on the how much that turns out to be is going to depend on the internal structure and, and the Young's modulus and cohesion and a number of things about the particles. The other op opportunity would be to do an active experiment where not only do we deploy a seismometer, but we deploy um, an energy source. Joe talked about this. The, the key point here is that the amount of deformation that's going to occur is, is unresolvable in an image. Um, however, the, the changes in the pole rotation and the, and the periodicity of the rotation can be observed. If we're sitting off the, the body by a few kilometers, watching it go through its encounter, uh, we can take images with a high enough cadence that we can watch the changes occur um, and watch the changes in rotation period as they, as they occur. So the spacecraft we came up with, is, as Basil just mentioned, we use SEP. Um, in this particular implementation, we had a requirement um, to, to try to get down below 180 kilograms. We didn't get there. We got to around 228. Uh, on the basis of uh, the wet mass. Um, but it, it, what it indicates is that for a relatively small scale spacecraft, you, you can do such a, a, a mission. This is the antenna, this, this harpoon on the top is our seismometer. Um, this is the interior of the, the spacecraft. It, it, as Fossil uh, uh, said, it's a um, SCP, so we had a repellent tank here, uh, a bunch of in, uh, internal uh, electronics. There are two, um, uh, the other experiments, there's an imager, um, which is down here, and the, the seismometer that we're going to deploy. Um, the solar panels extend after launch and generate 700 watts of power. Uh, we had a relatively simple RGB camera to uh, observe the body, and what we would do is conduct a, a range of, of imaging campaigns so that we could look at the, the whole body um, over the course of its rotation. Since we don't know exactly what the orientation is uh, right now, the point of arriving early is we can observe the whole body um, regardless of where the pole is, is oriented, although we may have to wait a while depending upon where the pole is, but we'd get a complete image before the encounter and then again after the encounter. Um, and we use some other images to understand what's going on right during closest approach. 
the assumption we made uh, was that Apophos is going to look something like Itakawa in terms of not necessarily the shape, but that there will be areas where there's really fine-grained material, and there's also going to be areas of rocks. So the seismometer looks something like this. It uses a liquid-filled, uh, in this particular implementation, where the, the motion of the ground uh, generates a current as the, uh, the fluid goes back and forth through the electrodes. Uh, this is orientation independent. It doesn't have to be leveled. Uh, so we would imagine this harpoon part sticking into the surface, um, batteries to run it, and electronics. This is essentially a small independent spacecraft. We're going to stick this in the surface and then leave, leave it there. Um, the way we would stick it in the surface is a challenge. Uh, in this particular implementation, we were going to use an extendable arm and then make a close approach to the, to the body and then try to stick this thing um, into the surface using the force of the spacecraft and let go. The particular uh, ch challenge here is making sure you, you coordinate your velocity relative to the body so that you don't have any torques on the thing. Um, it does give us the opportunity, though, uh, to uh, make an attempt to deploy it. If it doesn't work or if things aren't going well, we can back off and then try it again. But uh, presumably, we could be successful at some point and put this thing in, let it go, and then the spacecraft would back off. Uh, during the course of the mission, the, the seismometer would talk to the spacecraft, and the spacecraft would talk to the Earth. So the, the summary of, of this is that we can do important science. We can, it's a unique opportunity to study the tidal interactions with a large body. Um, because it's close to the Earth, um, the communications is not particularly an issue. Because it's close to the sun, power is not an issue. Um, there are multiple launch and rendezvous opportunities. And, and all things considered, it's a relatively simple spacecraft. There are some, some challenges. Uh, CONOPS at a small body that has essentially no gravity um, is an issue, but with the experience of Nier and Rosetta, Hayabusa and Osiris-Rex, um, we, we're beginning to understand how to do that. Touching the surface is also a challenge. Hayabusa and Osiris-Rex have touched the surface and collected samples, but they didn't try to put anything into the surface where the relative velocity um, would be an issue. So that's a, that's a particular challenge is how we would actually conduct that. Thank you. Okay, we have time for questions. Well, I have one. Okay. Uh, do you think that active seismic uh, experiments should be considered more in general for small body missions, or that is something that makes more sense for a case like this when you have such a close approach? Yeah, yeah I think so. We, we looked at what it would take to generate enough energy, and all you really need is, is one of these NASA initiators, which they use for you know, separating stages and stuff. It's a small thing. It's, it's a relatively well-known technology, and it's not going to impart enough of velocity to, to change the trajectory. Um, the key is that we couple both the seismometer and that charge to the surface. I'm just curious, uh, since you're mass-limited with just a seismometer, if you were to imagine putting a, a, a pinger or a, a transponder on this, on this asteroid, how much mass would you add, do you think, to get a good long-lived transponder attached to it? I, I think a, a few kilograms would be sufficient. Oh, okay, so it's, not, it's um, not a major. This particular implementation, actually, one of the conclusions we reached was, this is not the way to do it. Um, it should be done in a discovery class kind of mission where you could actually have multiple seismometers and, and energy sources, and you could carry a, a pinger or some other yeah, so something else. You have mass budget. For yeah, yeah, so in a discovery class, we have plenty of mass margin. Yeah. And I just add that um, you, 
Apophis is interesting just because of its intrinsic nature and its overall uh, long-term hazard. So I think it's a great destination just on its own merit. The encounter gives that extra uh, potential, but then you can also carry that active seismic experiment in case you go by the earth and it's radio quiet there, then you, you can do your uh, deploy your active experiment post facto after it's long past the earth. Yeah, well, we would arrive sufficiently early. We would emplace it and we'd have a background go through the encounter and continue. And, and effectively, there's no reason why we can't continue. All right. Well, that was Apex, the asteroid probe experiment, Apex. And that was being handled by a lot of different people, uh, both from the Applied Physics Lab at JPL and others. And uh, you heard them mention a couple of times, uh, he, you heard him say SEP. And the thing about scientific talks, if you're not familiar with them, is they don't bother to define their acronyms if they feel like their audience knows everything uh, that they're talking about. In that case, it's just solar electric propulsion. That spacecraft is basically just a big box. It doesn't look like much. Uh, it's got solar panels that extend, but the box itself uh, is not much to speak of. And so this is something that a lot of uh, interplanetary spacecraft are starting to use uh, solar electric propulsion. It's something that we'll talk about more in different podcasts, but it's really cool the way this is going to be working. So I thought I'd define that term for you. And there are other experiments that we've drawn on. He mentioned Hayabasa and OSIRIS-REx, uh, but they haven't, uh, you know, one of the differences here is they, they haven't stayed there. They, they, they just, OSIRIS-REx, for example, will just briefly blow a tiny puff of air at it and grab some dust and then leave. But the this is going to actually attach itself. And I think you'll see a big theme here with Apophis going through that everybody is very interested in the seismology. How stable is this thing as it flies by the Earth? So they want to stick a big harpoon into the, into the surface and measure, just like we're doing with the InSight lander on Mars right now. They want to measure any asteroid quakes or they want to get a sense of what this thing does when it does fly by. That is the overriding science goal behind all of this stuff. So you're going to hear this a lot uh, going forward, I think, with, uh, with this um, asteroid mission. And it's pretty cool. This one, like I said, this was one one concept. He would he did say that this is not the way to do it. <laughs> if they had a chance, a choice, I guess they would use a discovery class mission. And a discovery class mission is a class of NASA spacecraft that is cost of around two hundred and fifty million dollars and up. Uh, they aren't very expensive. But Tess, for example, is a discovery class mission. And they are, but they and they have bigger weight uh, allowances. You can you can launch heavier things up there, and uh, they would in, the, in using a discovery class mission, they would use two seismometers instead of one. And you may have heard that pinger guy was back <laughs> uh, asking questions, and uh, I think the pinger guy is right. You want to get something on there that gives it exact locations is, is so that we don't have to rely on telescopic observations to know where this thing is. And so hopefully they will do something like that as well. All right, guys, I think I'm going to stop here. Uh, I hope you learned a little bit more about Apophis than what you knew before you listened to this podcast. It's uh, not, a, not something to worry about. It looks like Apophis is going to just be a really great spectacle in the sky that we'll all be able to see as well as a good opportunity for scientific discovery. So Apophis the asteroid 
April 13th, 2029. We have 10 years to think about this, but it is already on a lot of people's minds. I get a lot of comments on my YouTube channel about this, about people worried about Apophis, and I've tried to give people accurate information. The big thing I learned from this conference was the 2036 flyby. Looks like it's going to be a lot further away than everybody thought. Uh, I thought that was going to be the most interesting one, but it turns out it isn't. It's the 2029 one coming up uh, next. So that's the big takeaway I got from this conference, as well as learning about what people are doing to actually try and get something on Apophis, a spacecraft there, so we can actually study it, which to me is just the absolute right thing to do. And what a wasted opportunity it would be if it just flew by and we did not try to learn more about potentially hazardous asteroids uh, given this, as as the guy, you know, at the first as uh, the first guy said in this podcast, you, it's a natural experiment that nature has sent up. So I think it's uh, I think it's worth doing, and I hope we take full advantage of it. I hope that we're able to get all the agencies, ESA, NASA, all the different space agencies out there to maybe get some more knowledge about this thing. All right, I guess I'll stop the podcast here. I hope you guys uh, are, are liking my Deep Astronomy Show podcast. I'll try to get another one up next week. And if you don't know, I just decided last week that every Tuesday on Twitch is going to be Tony's Twitch Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern time live. It's a good chance for us to get together. I'm going to be streaming every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope you can make it. We can talk about Apophis. We can talk about anything you want. So hope you'll come by and at least say hi on Twitch on Tuesdays. Tony's Twitch Tuesday. I love alliteration. <laughs> all right. Well, that is it for this episode, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up.